Reading from Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. In the middle of a live recording of a song called Bold as Love, John Mayer goes into a soliloquy and begins to talk about all the different accomplishments he's made in life as a musician and how he's tried all of these different things. And the only thing left that he hasn't really tried is love. This is what he says. He says, I've tried every approach to living and I've tried, I've tried it all. I haven't tried everything, but I've tried every approach. And what I'm saying is that I've missed with all the approaches except for one. And it's gonna sound really corny, but that's just love. And then John Mayer says, that's just love. Just like that. And if you've heard this little speech that he gives, all you can help but think is, yeah, John, that does sound really corny. I mean, just so incredibly canned, so forced, so contrived right before he goes into a solo. Until you listen to his words, really, and you begin to realize that even though they sound really corny, John's actually right. That they actually, John Mayer actually sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I gain nothing. And so why do John Mayer's words sound corny and hollow? I think it's because somewhere, somehow, the idea of love to us has gotten really cliche. It has been shaped by popular culture. So much so that when we hear the word love, we think of red hearts. We think of romantic comedies. We think of a feeling that is fleeting. But in the Bible, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to is anything but cliche. It is radical, it is sacrificial, it is a call to wholehearted devotion. 
to radical obedience, to the kind of kindness that only comes through grace and sacrifice. That is the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. And so this morning as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, I want us to truly consider the words of Jesus in this call to radical love. And I want us all to begin to see why love is the greatest commandment of all. The first thing that I want us to see, I, I want us to see that every commandment is a call to radical love. I want you to look with me at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. You can find it in your bulletin. You can pull out a pew Bible, or you can find it in your own Bible. This is Mark 12, 28. We're told that one of the scribes came up to Jesus, and he heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered well, asked him which commandment is the most important of all. Now, let me set the stage for you. We're told that the scribe comes up and he hears a dispute. This question that the scribe asks Jesus is a question after a line of questions. If you spend any time reading the Gospels, you'll hear Jesus confront three distinct but similar groups. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And that's exactly what's happening here in Mark chapter 12. A Pharisee comes up to Jesus and he questions Jesus. He puts him to the test and he asks him, Hey, Jesus, should we really pay taxes to Caesar? And then a Sadducee comes up to Jesus, also puts him to the test and says, Hey, Jesus, let me kind of give you a riddle, a conundrum about the resurrection. Let me put you to the test because Sadducees didn't actually believe in the resurrection. And then now comes a scribe. And the scribe asks Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And I tell you all of that to tell you that when we hear the scribe's question, we have to recognize he's not coming with great intentions. He's not simply curious. He doesn't want to just know this. No, he is somewhere between putting Jesus to the test and, and bringing a very common debate among the scribes at the time, which was to always ask, which commandment's the most important? Which one's the greatest? And you might ask, well, why would the scribes want to know which commandment is the most important? Well, because they're just like us. Anytime we're given a list of rules, we read all of them and we think, okay, but yeah, which one do I really have to follow? I mean, I get it, but it, I mean, just tell me the one that if I can just do that one, maybe I'm good. And I think the truth is this morning, if, if we're going to be honest, we're not that different from the scribes because we, we tend to make religion into a game. We tend to make Christianity into a religious game. We just say, just give me the rules. Let me know what I'm supposed to do. And if you could actually, could just tell me the most important one. Because I'm not really interested in doing all of it. Just tell me the most important one. If I get that right, then I'm covered. That's what the scribe is after. And like all the others, as we've seen throughout the gospel of Mark, as Jesus sees right through him. And so I want you to hear how Jesus responds, and I want you to pay attention. Because if you ever thought about Christianity that's just a bunch of rules, 
And if you've ever wondered, well, if I can just get maybe the top couple rules right, then maybe I'm fit for the kingdom of God. Maybe God would smile down on me. Maybe I would be acceptable between God and his people. If you've ever wondered if Christianity was just about moralism, I want you to hear what Jesus says. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The scribe asked Jesus a question that maybe you've wondered yourself, which commandment is the greatest? Which commandment is the most important? And Jesus' answer is as simple as it is provocative and profound. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love. And not the corny kind of love, not the John Mayer kind of love, but radical, wholehearted love. And he proves his point by going to the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is what Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. It's called the Shema because of the very first word. It's the word hear. Shema is Hebrew for the word hear. In other words, Jesus is addressing a scribe, an expert in Jewish law, by quoting the law back to him. And not just any part of the law, but this is the Shema. This was a prayer that was prayed twice a day. This was part of the Jewish confession of faith. In other words, Jesus' answer to the scribe is, I'm going to answer back to you something that you know by heart. Something that you know to be foundational to all that you believe. You want to know what the greatest commandment is? The greatest commandment is this, Jesus says. Love God. Now, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is not just any kind of love. In Hebrew, in Deuteronomy, the Hebrew word is ahava. It's a kind of commitment kind of love. A, a faithful kind of love. Here in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, the word that Jesus uses is the word agape. It's not the romantic kind of love or even a brotherly friendship kind of love, but it is the agape kind of love that requires commitment and faithfulness. It's a kind of love that is best expressed through action. That is the kind of love that Jesus says we are called to. And how are we supposed to love God with this kind of commitment, faithful, active kind of love? With every part of our being. With all of our soul. With all of our mind. With all of our strength. With every part of us, we have been called to love God. That is the greatest commandment. And our problem is that the truth is we don't love God like that. And we don't love God like that, not simply because we fail to love him, 
but because we are divided people. We live divided, bifurcated lives. What do I mean by that? Our problem is not just that we fail to love God, it's that we love God and lots of other stuff. We love God and everything else. We love God and country, God and family, God and work, God and sports, God and politics, God and social causes. And you hear that and you say, well, what's wrong with that? Are any of these things wrong to love? The answer is no, of course not. None of those things are inherently bad. In fact, they are all virtuous and good. The problem is how much real estate do those things take up in your heart? How divided are you with your loves? Jesus is reminding us that the great Shema calls us to love God with our whole person, undividedly, wholeheartedly, all of our mind and soul and strength, every part of us. And so the question we have to ask is that if that is the greatest commandment, as that is the chief thing that we are called to do as the people of God, then how does that really work? What does that look like for you? Do you really love God with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength? Or are you living a divided life? The second thing I want us to see I want us to see that every sin is a failure of love. Every commandment begins with a call to love and every sin is a failure to love. Notice what Jesus says, verse 31. Jesus says, the second is this. So remember, the scribes asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus first quotes from Deuteronomy, love God with your whole person with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And now the second is this, verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. For paying attention, Jesus' answer really has two parts. What's the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. The first part he's quoting from Deuteronomy. The second part he's quoting from Leviticus 19. Again, he's addressing a Jewish scholar. He's answering a Jewish expert in the law with the law. Love God and love your neighbor. Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Any scribe, any Jewish expert in the law, would have known this and committed to it by memory. And what Jesus is doing is by connecting these two things, the Shema with this Levitical call to love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, by putting these two things together, not only is Jesus giving us the greatest commandments of all, but he's actually summarizing all of the commandments. If you went on, it looks like, a, what does obedience look like? What does it mean to keep the commandments of God? Jesus is saying, love God and love your neighbor. I want to show you what I mean. I want you to take your bulletin. I want you to look for the Decalogue. It's the Ten Commandments. I want you to look at the Ten Commandments with me. And I want to read them again for you. 
These are God's commandments for us, for our flourishing, for our good. God says, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Do you hear it? The Ten Commandments in two parts. The first part, love God. The second part, love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments can be summarized by these two greatest commands to love. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, Paul says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now hear what Paul says. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Apostle Paul says this in Galatians, Galatians 5.13, you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is Paul saying? He is drawing on what Jesus is telling the scribe. All of the law can be summarized this way, love God and love your neighbors. What that means for us this morning is that every failure to love is breaking God's law. Every failure. That every sin is fundamentally a failure to love God and a failure to love our neighbor. Everything we've been called to do and made to be is about love. And if you bristle at that this morning, again, I want to challenge your understanding of love. And I want you to begin to draw on Jesus to shape the way that you think about love. Because again, this is not a feely, gushy, corny kind of love. But this is who God has made us to be. You see, God, in his perfection and wisdom and grace, made us in his image. John tells us that God is love. Now, when you hear that, often our world is tempted to think, and probably even teaches this, that to say that God is love is to teach us what God is like. And what people typically do is they use it kind of as a weapon. And they start with a human, their own human understanding of God, and they make God in our image. And they say, no, you've got God wrong because God is love, and I'm thinking about how I want to be loved and my own understanding of love, and that's what God is like. But that's not what that phrase means. When John teaches us that God is love, he's not trying to teach us what God is like. Actually, in the context, he's trying to teach us what love is like. He's saying, if you want to know what love is, you have to start with God. 
You have to start with him because he's the one who defines God. He has made us in his image, not the other way around. But as his image bearers, we've been called to love. We have been endowed with love. We have been called to embody the very love of God all over creation. Our problem is we don't do that because we forget that everyone around us is an image bearer too. I think one of the most fundamental reasons why we fail to love our neighbor is we're just like the lawyer in the Gospel of Luke who asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? We ask that question because we know that loving other people is hard, isn't it? Can we be honest about that this morning? Loving other people is hard. And when loving other people is hard, we forget that every person, every person, whether they believe in God or not, whether they believe in the God of the Bible or not, was made in his image. Every human being, regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they act, regardless of whatever sin that they are entangled with, regardless of the color of their skin or where they are from or what their zip code is or how much money is in their bank account, every single human being is made in the image of God. And so we're called to love them because we are his image bearers. But love is hard. Love is hard because that image has been broken by sin. It's been broken in us and it's been broken in people. And so I have no doubt this morning that as much as every one of us has been called to love, also every one of us has failed to love and every single one of us has had someone fail to love us. And so we're caught in this reciprocal cycle of being failed to be loved and failing to love others and it's broken. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I want you to listen to this because I think this is really important. C.S. Lewis said, there's no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. What's he saying? He's saying, if you love, you take a risk because love is broken in our world. He goes on and says, if you want to make sure of keeping love intact, then you just give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin or your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Those are strong words. What is C.S. Lewis saying? He's saying the reality is we live in a world that's fallen and broken where we fail to love others and they fail to love us. And so to love is risky And so here's the call for us as Christians, if you call yourself a Christian this morning. The only way that you can really do this, to love God and love others, is if you first understand that you've been loved first. 
The only way that you can do this is to love others is to sacrifice yourself. Because loving, when you will be hurt and you will be hated and you will be taken advantage of, when you love in a situation and culture like that, it's risky. So it's going to require sacrifice that none of us have in ourselves to give. So here's the third and final thing I want you to know. That every pardon, every pardon is paid for by love. I want you to look with me, verse 32. So the scribe responds to Jesus, hearing Jesus quote two passages from the Old Testament that he knew well. The scribe responds to Jesus and says, you are right, teacher. Now notice what the scribe calls him. The scribe calls him teacher. I wonder, do you see Jesus as just a teacher? Let me ask it a different way. Do you treat Jesus as just a teacher? Some of you know better. You know that Jesus is not just a teacher. He is savior and Lord of all and king of kings. And yet how often we treat him as just a teacher, just another wise person throughout history to give us some thoughts to abide by. But Jesus is no teacher. He is the savior and that's the beginning of the scribe's problem. He says, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one, that there's no one besides him, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself as much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now notice what Jesus says. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now notice what he said. You are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're close, but you're not in. You're not far from the kingdom, but you are not in. You see, because it's not enough that we know the commandments. It's not even enough that we begin to realize that all the commandments are summarized between love God and love your neighbor. It's not enough because these two greatest commandments, if this is what God has called us to, to love God and love one another, if these are the greatest commandments, then they also stand as our greatest condemnations. Because every one of us has failed to love God. Every one of us. Every time you disobey him, you're saying, I love something else more than you. Every time that you reject God, you're saying, I love myself or something else more than you. Every doubt, every cynicism is a choice to engage that fear or that question more than love. Every failure that we have fundamentally is a failure to love God because every sin says, I love myself. <laughs> I love my own way. I love my own kingdom more than I love you. Every one of us has failed to love God and every one of us has failed to love our neighbor as ourself. And you say, well, who's my neighbor? Well, sometimes your neighbor's in your own home. And we fail to love one another as spouses. We fail to love our children. We fail to love our brothers and sisters. We fail to love our roommates. We fail to love our neighbor. 
but it goes much beyond our own homes. Sometimes it's our literal neighbors that we fail to love, the people that live right next to us. Our actual neighbors and the way that we treat them. And sometimes it's not just the way that we treat them, it's the things that we think about them. Jesus said, if you hate a brother, then it's if you commit murder in your heart. But it's not just the people on our street, it's people across the city. People who look nothing like us. It's the outsider, the other. People of a different race, a different creed, a different socioeconomic status. We fail to love them. Sometimes that's directly with injustice and racism and hatred. And sometimes it's just indifference that we fail to consider them. As I was preparing for this message, I was reminded, and honestly, I was haunted by the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 that says, surely the way that you treat one of the least of these, surely you've done it to me. <laughs> Every one of us has failed to love our neighbor. And so what do we do? The only remedy for our failure to love is the radical love of God for us. Because the only person who has ever fulfilled these two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, is the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, one who's not just a teacher, but one who is our Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And not only has he given us the words of life, he is the word of life. And in perfect obedience, because of his love for his father, he laid his life down for you and me. Paul tells us in Philippians that it was out of obedience that he went to the cross. Because he loved God more than anything else, out of obedience, he went to the cross. And there on the cross, not only did he love his neighbor, but he loved his enemies. He loved you and me. And he willingly laid his life down out of love for our salvation. All of this Jesus did because God loved us first. He loved us first. And so often I think our failure to love God and love one another is because we fail to understand that, that he loved us first. Our confession of faith this morning is from Ephesians chapter one, where Paul tells us in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. When you hear that verse, my guess is you immediately go to the word predestination. And some of you who are good Presbyterians say, yes, there's our word. And others you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. And while you focus on the word predestination, you miss the word in front of it in love. What I want you to hear this morning is predestination is not a cold and callous doctrine. It is a doctrine that is built out of love. Because what does that mean in love? He predestined us. That means that God loved us first. Before you ever loved God or failed to love God, God loved us first. And I think often we assume that God loves us because Jesus died for us. That God the Father is out there hating us ruling over us like a totalitarian ruler. And the only reason why he loves us is because Jesus died, but God loved us first. 
In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters. John 3.16 says, because God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. In other words, God doesn't love us because Jesus died. Jesus died because God loves us. And it is out of his love that he sent Jesus to ultimately fulfill the greatest commandments once and for all. That on the cross, Jesus loved God and he loved his neighbor. And he gave his life for you and for me. So all who would trust in him, all who would receive his gracious, radical and redeeming love would be saved. And as his people now redeemed by his blood, we have been called to bear out that gospel message to the world. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest way that we can do those two things is to tell the world about the one who was sent to love us to the end. So this morning, what do you think of love? What is your understanding of love? Perhaps God is calling you to reshape the way that you love, the way that you love one another, ultimately the way that you love him, but the way that you understand God's great love for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great call that in so, way, so many ways is clarifying for us that you would use this scribe and even whatever his intentions were to give us such clarity of what you've called us to do, that you've commanded us to love you and to love one another. But if we take those things seriously this morning, we recognize, Father, that we've, we've failed in both of those things. And so would you please begin to rework the good news, the gospel, deep into our hearts, into those places that have failed to love you and failed to love others, and would your great love for us completely change us from the inside out? Your love fulfilled on the cross, the death and resurrection of your son, and the promise that you will come again. Help us to see that all of this is because of love. And may we now live it as your people and fulfilling the greatest commandment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.